Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day we bring you the most noteworthy and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find a Bloomberg PL podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at Bloomberg.com. Let's switch gears, uh, though, sticking with Wall Street and talk about broker commissions. Today, uh, this morning, there was news that Charles Schwab is eliminating commissions for stocks, ETFs, and options listed on U.S. or Canadian exchanges. The race to the bottom accelerates. David Ritter, payments and specialty finance analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us from Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, David, what do you make the news? Well, it's been something that's been a long time coming. I mean, obviously, fee compression and brokerage and in asset management more broadly is nothing new. I mean, interactive brokers made their own move last week to cut commissions to zero for uh, basic stock trades. so I think it, it, it's going to have a very different impact on the different players in in the market. In Schwab's case, um, you know, they only earn about 15% of their net revenue from trading commissions versus um, E-Trade and TD Ameritrade, where it's more than 35%. And I think you're seeing that reflected in the action this morning. But, but Schwab is really more an asset gatherer than anything. And so I see this move for them as a recognition of the fact that, you know, we don't want to lose customers and assets in the long term to these new stock trading apps, whether it be Robinhood or whether it be JP Morgan's You Invest, because that's how they make money. They make money on new net new assets coming into the company. Uh, and then, you know, 60% of their revenue is net interest income. So they're essentially a bank, right? So they're paying low interest and reinvesting that money in safe security. So that's the real driver, not trading commissions. Yeah, it's interesting. Look at the stocks you mentioned, uh, Dave Schwab down 9%, TD Ameritrade down about 22% today, and E-Trade down 18%. So kind of right in line with what you were saying. And uh, my question is kind of talk to us about some of these new technological competitors that uh, you mentioned, kind of Robinhood and things like that. Give us a sense of what they are and what kind of market share are they taking? Yeah, well, in the case of Robinhood, you know, very rapid growth company, several million uh, customers already offering quote unquote free trades. I think what's under recognized, though, is uh, nothing's free, right? In the case of all of these retail brokers that charge the customer a zero trading fee, they're sending those trades to market makers. So companies like Citadel, and they're getting paid what's called payment for order flow for those transactions. So in their release last week, Interactive Brokers was very candid. They said, well, you know, this is how we get paid. And if you still want best best execution, you can take our uh, for fee product instead of our free product. So I just thought that was an interesting way to, to approach it. But, uh, you know, certainly these things are having an impact. And for Schwab, they finally said to themselves, look, we, we don't want to lose uh, these customers because they're young people, right? So they're really the future drivers of their growth. Right now, I'm looking at Schwab shares down now, uh, more than 9%. So shareholders aren't buying it. Yeah, I mean, I think for both of them, when I described a minute ago what percentage of revenue they get from trading commissions, um, I think the market is pricing in perhaps half of that revenue going away. It's interesting, though, because the last round of price cuts was a couple of years ago. Fidelity sort of kicked it off by going to 495 a trade, and Schwab matched them. What happened across the entire industry was fascinating, is that the net inflows to the companies and the trading volumes increased. 
so it actually drew in more customers. And so, again, I think that's Schwab's rationale here is we're trying to remove any impediment to folks either uh, getting more active or becoming active in the markets for the very first time and then going forward into the future. So I'm not sure we'll see exactly that again this time, but that's what we saw last time. David Ritter, thanks so much for joining us. David's Payments and Specialty Finance Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence and joining us uh, from the Bloomberg headquarters in Princeton, New Jersey. I want to read a, a tweet from President Trump. Quote, as I predicted, Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve have allowed the dollar to get so strong especially relative to all other currencies, that our manufacturers are being negatively affected. Fed rate too high. They are their own worst enemies. They don't have a clue. Pathetic exclamation point, end quote. So let's dig a little bit deeper with that as a background. Uh, Tim Fury, chairman of the Manufacturing Business Survey for the Institute of Supply Management. He joins us on the phone from Florida. So, uh, Tim, quite the manufacturing data uh, for the month of September, much, much lower than people were looking for. What's your takeaway? Yeah, hi, Paul. Yeah, so, so it was a disappointment for sure. And it's been driven by uh, demand. For the second straight month, we had demand in a contraction mode. And more importantly, this month compared to last month is that the three sub-indexes that support that demand number were all in negative territory too, which is of concern. So let me let me just talk quickly about the new export order down to 41, which is a pretty heavy contraction. We've had two prior months of contraction, but not to that level. And about 18% of manufacturing GDP is exported. So without that new export order coming up, I don't. I would be very surprised if that new order number, currently at 47.3, gets above the 50-point mark. How much is the decline in exports due to the stronger dollar? Well, it's, you know, it's hard to tell. I get comments about that. Uh, 28% of my comments are uh, tariff and trade related. Uh, we're talking low single digits on the on the currency side. So, you know, there, there's no doubt that from a supply manager perspective, the trade issues are a much bigger concern than our currency. So, uh, but I can't really put it into specifics beyond that. So, Tim, the uh, we have a, you know, I guess my question is, when do we have a trend here? We had August at 49.1. Contraction, uh, and then coming in with this data at 47.8, even bigger contraction. When, from your perspective at the Institute for Supply Management, do you start sensing a trend here? Well, last month uh, I was asked several times about whether this was a blip and expected to come above 50. I, I was hopeful that the month of September would have a, a decently strong new order number, which would allow production to expand again and get us back above 50. But I think, you know, given the, the, the weak new order number, about the same level as last month, nothing uh, worse, nothing better. But, you know, supporting that is really the uh, the backlog of order number 45.1, which declined again this month. I was hoping that that would, would jump back up. So with the backlog week, it means that you really don't have as much to work on next month as you did the prior month. Very concerning. And then you look at the inventory number at 47, give or take. It says that supply managers are really watching their input materials so that uh, they're not going to get stuck with something that they don't need. The two things that you look at from a general manager standpoint is how much material you're taking in, and uh, number one, number two is what's your headcount. And I, I think we're at that point where people are looking at that. Uh, we're, we're in the planning season here for 2020. Most plans get kind of consummated by the end of November, and the employment count uh, has to really be looked at closely here because 
there's no doubt we have uh, more uh, production capacity than we need to meet the new order level. We've been burning into the backlog now for uh, four straight months, and at some point you have to make a decision. Tim Fury, thank you so much. Uh, Chairman of the Manufacturing Business Survey Institute for Supply Management, joining us on the phone from Florida. Well, we've been talking about 2019 as being the year where we get a lot of big, high-profile unicorn IPOs coming out of Silicon Valley. And I think a little bit of a hindsight here, it's been kind of a mixed bag. We've had some mixed performance, some real duds. We've actually had some deals pulled, most notably uh, WeWork um, and um, Endeavor was also pulled. To get a sense of what's going on in the U.S. IPO market, we welcome Jackie Kelly. Jackie's America's IPO leader for Ernst & Young. She joins us here on our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. So, Jackie, thanks so much for joining us. You know, again, we there's so much anticipation for some of these big, high-profile deals coming public, Uber, Lyft, and all those t types of things. It's been kind of a mixed bag. What do you think the IPO market is telling us these days? Well, um, you know, the markets are actually... The sentiment's really positive behind the scenes, let's just say that. We have a few of the higher profile IPOs that have been working through uh, some market issues and other things, but really this is a long-term game at the end of the day. Uh, we're very excited that the pipeline is very robust. And uh, despite some of the turbulence in the markets, uh, the we still have a number of companies lined up right now in the healthcare sector that are looking to price over the next week or two. And we have a number of companies also in technology and other sectors that are getting on file and interested in going public over the next, let's say, six months plus. How much disappointment are you hearing from your clients at this point and fear as they look at the pipeline getting ready and then they look at the WeWork and the Endeavor IPOs that were both pulled or iced? Are you having trouble convincing your clients, no, it's still good? I'm, it's very interesting. So um, I think there's a lot of resilience to some of these the, the turbulence in the markets and some of the pricings. Uh, companies are really focused, which is great, on getting themselves ready. I think they recognize, and this has been a few years now that we've been in this sort of market where things can shift on a dime with you. You can be thinking you're going to price in a great market and then you know something changes and then the market's not great. So companies are really focused on getting themselves ready. They are focused on getting into uh, the filing process, which is now available as confidential for everyone. So everybody can get into the confidential filing process, get themselves ready, and be ready to take advantage of a market window when that market window opens. What do you think some of the, what do you think the market's been telling us with some of these high profile misfires? Um, is there corporate culture becoming bigger part of kind of what investors are looking for? I'm thinking Uber, I'm thinking WeWorks, you know, where there's definitely been some issues with some of the insiders or maybe some of the corporate governance and think, think things like that. Yeah, as, as we're working with companies today, we focus on a number of things, and it really is about getting the whole company ready to be a public company, and a critical part of that is governance in an organization. There's sort of the traditional sort of corporate governance that a lot of us think about, board governance, et cetera, but there's also just sort of the governance and oversight from the tone at the top of how you run your business. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, as companies are growing so quickly, uh, companies have to start putting in infrastructure, policies, a lot of things that very mature companies are already well familiar with, but these are rapid growth companies. They're going through that process and as they continue to grow, that really is, it never ends. Uh, but governance is top of the agenda. I think 
all the companies are working on it. It is a process. It's not something you turn on overnight, but they work on it and they, they all have goals of having that strong governance function in place. So our own Shanali Basak wrote a story about how a number of venture capitalists are getting together in Silicon Valley uh, and they did not invite Wall Street because they are displeased with Wall Street's role in some of the recent IPOs. Do you think it's Wall Street's fault that we saw some less than optimal performances from some of the IPOs? Yeah, I think that, you know, Performance is very complex. Um, one of the most important things as companies are looking to go to the public markets that they really need to get right is predictability in their business. And being a predictable business is a very challenging thing to do for some of these high growth disruptive companies. I think what's been great is that many of these companies have been able to grow in the private markets and get funding in the private markets. We have robust private markets that has allowed them to extend and, and, and grow and scale uh, without that visibility, but once you're in the public markets, a lot of things are visible. And so, um, you know, I don't know that, you know, ultimately um, companies own uh, their uh, decision on timing. Uh, they need to think seriously about, am I ready to be a public company? Am I running a predictable business? Do I have that governance and the controls and those things in place that help make sure that I can meet and beat expectations and, and things like that? Jackie Kelly, thank you so much for being with us. Jackie Kelly is American's IPO, America's IPO leader for Ernst & Young, joining us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. It's almost lunch here on Wall Street. I think it's time to, uh, yes. to take a look at some pizza, in particular Papa John's, ticker PZZA. Uh, and uh, we are so lucky to have Rob Lynch here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. He's CEO of Papa John's International. He's been CEO for a, a hot month. And uh, after coming in after a tumultuous period of time, shares of Papa John's up 34% this year, but that follows a 30% nearly decline last year. What was the biggest challenge for you, Rob, when you came into the company, given uh, the sort of unceremonious exit of the previous leader? No, I think the biggest challenge has been um, making sure that everyone is focused on the future. You know, we need to move beyond um, those tumultuous times. And, you know, I've been surprised at the resiliency of this, of this company. Our franchisees, our employees are all ready to do great things. And so that makes it a lot easier for me to come in and, and drive change and, and get us going on the, in the right direction. I'm a big pizza eater, huge pizza eater. That's my, you know, desert island food. So um, talk to us about the pizza business in the U.S. Is it growing? How's the market share shifting around between chains like yourselves and, you know, the mom and pops and so on and so forth? Sure. You know, um, the pizza business is a pretty stable business. Um, you know, I think the... The interesting thing about the pizza industry is is all the technological disruption that's going on in the industry. You know, we, pizza has owned delivery for a long time. When you wanted something delivered, it was either pizza or, you know, Chinese food, right? And right. today you can get anything through the third-party aggregators. And so I think the challenge for us is figuring out how we continue to grow and, and frankly thrive in these new times. And disruption creates opportunity. And so, you know, we are focused on and working with these new um, companies with these new capabilities to, to create a symbiotic relationship where we can both do uh, great things over the next few years. 
So can you give us an example of some innovation? I mean, other than, say, an algorithm to better match people and, and sort of uh, the delivery uh, individuals, et cetera, are there any other advancements that you're looking at? From a technology standpoint? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, our mobile application ordering is up about 60% year on year, right? So people are definitely moving into the the application channel versus the phones and even the, the web ordering that we used to that used to be so pre- prevalent. So, you know, for us, that's a huge opportunity because we take that that customer, inf- you know, data and leverage that their purchase data to understand what their needs are and target them more effectively with offers that are most relevant for them. So we're not sending them a bunch of spam or a bunch of, you know, offers that they don't care about. So um, analytics and back end artificial intelligence are allowing us to serve our customers better. So what percentage of your businesses franchisee versus own stores and how do you think about that because I know every you know restaurant company has a kind of a different view on that yeah you know I I love it that we have a flexible balance sheet we own about 20% of the system domestically and franchisees own about 80% and so that allows us to to seed markets with our restaurants and bring in new franchisees or even help some of our other franchise our current franchisees grow and 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 really maximize the opportunity in those markets you know we, we new restaurant development is a key indicator of a healthy system internationally we're all franchise we have 2000 restaurants internationally we're number 3 globally in pizza delivery um, and so you know that model obviously is a franchise only model and that allows us to find partners in the geographies that we want to move into who who know know that marketplace, know the real estate, know how to do business there. So we, we are definitely um, a blended company. There's a lot of talk about the tight labor market. Do you find that it's difficult to hire and retain people or more difficult than it, than it has been previously? And you were uh, the CEO of Arby's previously. So this isn't new for you in terms of running uh, a food services company. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a Papa John's problem. It is, a, is an industry challenge, right? I mean, record low levels of unemployment mean a lot of great things for our country. It makes it a little bit tougher for, for companies like us. And, and so um, it, it just makes it that much more important to foster um, a culture that people want to be a part of, right? And to be the kind of co- uh, the employer of choice in the choice in the markets in which we compete. And so that's been a big part of, of what I focused on coming in as the new CEO. How do we make sure that we move kind of past where we've been, focus on the future and build, you know, a culture where people feel like they have a, a future that's bright? So looking forward, what's the kind of the market? It's, I know it's a competitive marketplace. What's kind of the marketing strategy that you guys like to employ to kind of establish your brand in the marketplace, maybe differentiate your brand in the marketplace? Do you use you know traditional media, new media? How, what's what's working best for you guys? Pizza, pizza. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> that, that's our competitors. That's our competitor. <laughs> We're better ingredients, better pizza. There you and go. I like ours a lot better. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Sorry to call you out. Please uh, call yeah. me out any time. <laughs> Love it. Uh, no, you know... We, we we want to communicate with our customers in the most engaging and compelling way. I mean, we still leverage television, obviously, as a big advertising channel, um, but the media industry is changing almost as rapidly as the delivery industry. And so um, we are focused on making sure that, that we've made the right investments in technology and in the channels that our customers are moving towards. I already mentioned the, the mobile application. So um, we're focused on connecting with our customers across all the channels. You uh, came in here and said that your first job was making pizza. Is that yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and here you are running a pizza chain uh, franchise operator. I'm just wondering, what is your favorite pizza, first of all? 
My favorite pizza? That's an easy one. Papa John's mushroom pizza. Mushroom pizza. I don't know if you know this. Most people don't. But we actually use baby portobello's mushrooms on our pizza. Like (laughs) That's a testament to the kind of quality, right? And we chop them fresh in our restaurants every day. Okay. Do you ever make pizza? I've made probably about 150,000 pizzas in my life. I know, but like now. <laughs> yeah. So, As CEO. So I have spent the last three or four <laughs> weeks walk, going around this country, meeting with my franchisees. And every time I get there, I, you know, they're expecting me to be kind of afraid of the back of house, right? right. And I walk in and, you know, I've got my, my shirt and my, I roll up my sleeves and I'm like, okay, let's sling some dough. And I start making pizzas. <laughs> so that's your shtick. I, I love it. Like, <laughs> I absolutely love it. I get, you know, I get, like yesterday, I was here in New York. I was up on 104th street at, at one of our um, great franchisees restaurants and you know I walk in and I've got my suit on I take the jacket off but I, I walk you know back back a house make a pizza finish up I've got flour all over my slacks and shoes Gold. I, yeah I'm like if you don't if you're not going to have flour on your shoes you're not a pizza maker so yeah that's it that's the story that's the takeaway love it you, gotta, you don't have flour on your shoes you got to sling some get dough. another business <laughs> Robert Lynch, Chief Executive Officer, Papa John's International, joining us here on our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, giving us the update date on Papa John's International. P-Z-Z-A is the symbol. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. I'm Lisa Abramowitz. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz 1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.